electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I'm John Fort, and here's what's ahead on The Exchange. Robinhood's big DC debut. That company's set to testify about its role in the Reddit-fueled trading boom. We're going to talk to representatives from both sides of the aisle who are getting ready to grill the CEO. Plus, Miami is considering a number of initiatives to embrace Bitcoin, including paying employees, paying taxes, and making capital investments in Bitcoin. We're going to speak with the mayor about that initiative ahead. And Texas's energy nightmare, the latest on the state's deep freeze and big blackouts. We're going to begin with the markets and rising yields with Don Chu. They're having a huge implication, John, on what's happening overall in the marketplace right now, specifically when it comes to certain key parts of the market that have been momentum-type stocks and sectors over the course of the past 12 months. Let's take a look at the Dow right now, just about flat on the day. Just call it about up six points. The S&P down about one-third of one percent. And the real underperformer so far today, and it's off its lows of the session, is the Nasdaq Composite up down 142 points, roughly one percent declines there. Rising interest rates. You just heard it from Kathy Wood in the previous hour. Some of the valuations of many momentum-type stocks and sectors are probably going to come under question if interest rates continue to rise in a fairly quick fashion. If you take a look at the 10-year Treasury note yield, 1.279%, the last trade there. At one point today, we did get above 1.3%, just about 1.33% was the day's highs on the 10-year Treasury note. That, by the way, the highest level since February of last year. So that's something to keep an eye on. With those interest rates in mind and valuations also playing a role in the discussion for markets today, we decided that the exchange over here to take a look at a screen for dividend stocks within the S&P 500 that pay more than the uh, 10-year Treasury note yield. If you take a look at the S&P 500, we looked at the dividend yields that were above 1.3%, roughly where the 10-year is now. They've also, though, had to have had positive 6- and 12-month price appreciation. We don't want dividend yields that are driven just by stock price declines. And by the way, the market caps are $100 billion or greater, so the mega cap names out there. 25 names passed this screen. Here are the five that were the biggest ones out there. AbbVie, a 5% dividend yield there. 3M, a 3.4% dividend yield. Broadcom, a chip stock that's yielding 3% with those parameters. UPS, 2.5% yields. And J.P. Morgan Chase, 2.5% yields as well. Those are the top five stocks ranked by dividend yield that passed that screen we just showed you. And don't worry, if you want to see the rest of the other 20 stocks in that list, just go over to Twitter, at the Domino, at the CNBC, the exchange. We've put all of them up there for you. So check out those 25 names. John, I'll send things back over to you. Who doesn't want to see the rest of that list? I know I do. It gets right to the core of one of the questions that I've got for investors in this crazy market. Dom, thanks. With so many stocks yielding more than the 10-year, is it time for investors to consider breaking up with bonds? For more, let's welcome in Nancy Tengler, Chief Investment Officer at Laffer Tengler Investments, and Marco Papich, the Chief Strategist for the Clock Tower Group. Nancy, what about it? I mean, it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to do the traditional thing and put this big percentage of your portfolio in bonds right now, or, or does it? 
No, I agree with you, John. We've been making this argument for, for some months. If you look at the uh, where bonds have traded since the uh, August low in yields and height in prices, they're off about six and a half percent while stocks have continued to rally. We, we run four large cap equity strategies, all of which have uh, the yields above the 10 year. Two are really dividend growth strategies and two are growth at a reasonable price. And the best thing about this way of playing markets or playing your investments is that your your income grows. And so of the list that Dom just mentioned, I would pick, and we own this stock, we own many of them, but I would pick AbbVie and, and uh, Broadcom because these are companies that are not just amongst the highest yielders, but they're amongst the fastest growing dividend payers uh, in the market. Marco, are you on board with this and how should investors be wary or not of the likelihood that some of these companies are going to continue paying dividends at the level that they are right now? I think the broader problem with this situation, John, I mean, I agree completely bonds. There's just a problem in terms of risk reward at these levels of yield. However, for the past decade, the last expansion has really afforded investors the comfort of risk parity strategies where you could basically hedge any sort of a correction with a long position in, in, in bonds. That doesn't exist anymore. In fact, right now, we don't have risk parity anymore. We have reward disparity, which pushes investors to, see, so to purely seek alpha with very little protection. And I think you're seeing uh, that kind of a day today. I mean, there's really nowhere to hide. Um, and I think the message for investors is that, well, U.S. equities did really well in the last cycle because they're really built for a deflationary cycle, for a deflationary expansion, the tepidness we had. Uh, we're not in that kind of an expansion anymore. And, and so we need to seek uh, other equity markets that are more leveraged to this type of uh, expansion. What about it, Nancy? I mean, if you want even more safety than a big dividend-paying stock, do you have to just go to cash? No, I don't think so. I mean, the managements of these companies are setting the dividend as a portion of what they believe long-term sustainable earnings power is. So if you've got a BlackRock raising the dividend in the mid-double uh, digits, T. Rowe at 20%, those may be outliers based on market returns, but Starbucks at 10% increase in the fourth quarter is telling you something about the future of what they expect for earnings. So what we've done is we, we've put our clients in convertibles. We have a convertible strategy. We've put them in equities, and then we've bought puts against the market for the last couple of years. Hmm. And it's it's balanced quite nicely and put the protection there. You you can't expect to make money in bonds after a 40-year bond bull market and rates at historic lows. I mean, yeah. there's some portions of the bond market you can make money in, well, but not across the board. What about it, Marco? Quickly, if you can, are there any bond funds or ETFs that you can sort of trust at this stage when the ratings are so slow to keep up with reality? I mean, even the high yield uh, spreads have come in massively. There's some pockets in emerging markets or frontiers, but uh, I, I think the way to really think about the future is that the dividend paying stocks are your bonds. And for uh, high returns, you have to seek emerging markets and commodities. All right. Well, thank you, Marco Papich and Nancy Tangler. With stocks lower today, moving on, Cities Tobias Lefkovich out with a note predicting a 10% pullback ahead, saying investors should start looking for stocks with strong pricing power like Microsoft. Head to CNBC.com slash pro for his full list. Speaking of yields, we got a news alert on the bond market. 20-year bonds up for auction. Let's check in with Rick Santelli. Rick? Hi, John. Yes, $27 billion of those 20-year notes 
This is the 10th auction. We brought back the 20 years last year, if you recall. And this is the worst of all the auctions. Consider, this auction came in at 1.92%. The one issue market looked like it was trading around 1.89. Priced horribly. And if you look at the bid to cover, 2.15, it's the lowest of the nine current 20-year auctions. 54.9 on indirects, the lowest on all the nine auctions. 16 for directs is the only thing above average. And 29.1% goes to dealers, that is a big chunk that gets stuck in hands of dealers. Now, granted, rates aren't going to go up forever. As a matter of fact, we had a big reprieve today. You know, the mid-130s is a good place for 10-year note yields to stop. Those were the key bottoms in 2012 and 2016. John Fort, back to you. Man, that was a lot of smart stuff on bonds. Thank you, Rick Santelli. And, and now to probably the most important national story right now, the deadly winter storm that's leaving millions in Texas still without power, sending energy prices higher. Brian Sullivan joins me now with the latest. Brian, what's going on? Well, I wish I had better news for you, John. The latest is still pretty bad. I mean, you got about 3.3 million people in Texas still out of power, according to poweroutage.us. I mean, 3.3 million And those are households. Those are probably multi-millions more people because those are electricity customers. In fact, the situation has gotten so bad that the mayor of Houston has said he suggests you boil all water that you might consume or even bathe with. Now, of course, if your stove is electric, you're not going to be able to boil anything because you're not going to have any flame. There might be some that have gas separately that might work otherwise, but they're worried that the water has gotten potentially contaminated Other cities in Texas have done the same, but Houston is the fourth largest metro area in the United States now telling its people to boil water. Up there in Austin, not much better and may not get better anytime soon. Earlier today, Austin Energy, their primary energy provider, said that folks there should not expect to get power back maybe for another day or two or longer. Or longer was actually, John, their word. So a confluence of problems there certainly you got electricity, as we talked about yesterday, still being traded at 10,000 plus percent markups. You heard me right. Wow. You had a trade done today at the 9,000 cap. And John, I want to I put that in perspective. I'm going to steal Paul Sankey, Sankey Research's data. The price of electricity is traded at a level that is the equivalent price of $15,000 for a barrel of oil, which would be... John, are you ready? $850 roughly for a gallon of gasoline. That's what some electricity is still trading for in Texas. That's, that sounds like the equivalent of like a, a thousand bucks for a bundle of firewood uh, if you're talking about what it does. But I, I mean, I don't know. But Brian, my, my structural question here is I've been reading all sorts of stuff about how this is about Texas's independent streak, what what sort of got us into this situation and the power grid being cut off from other areas. Are there structural changes that you get the sense people you're talking to that are likely to come out of this, uh, you know, after, you know, Lord willing, we get through this? I mean, the answer would probably bleed into power lunch, but I'll do the best that I can. (laughs) Um, They had this problem in 1989 they had a big report in 1990 saying, we got to solve the winter problem. They had it in 2011, had a big report saying, we got to solve the winter problem. That's my sort of Texas regulator voice. They, they've, they've, they've had this before. This is nothing new. Part of the problem, to your point, is that they're their own grid. It's not the entire problem. Listen, everybody's looking 
for someone to point fingers at. I tweeted earlier today, can we just get the heat on and then fight about it? Because like some people are like, my side, fossil fuels rule, renewables are terrible because some wind turbines are down. Then the renewable people are like, fossil fuels are the bigger problem because they have more gigawatts that are down. They're both true. Yeah. There was lack of planning. The storm was worse than expected. Things freeze, including some wind turbines. 30 gigawatts of natural gas is offline because guess what? Pipelines freeze. People don't want to go out in the cold. Any piles of coal are frozen solid. It's wow. a, it's Anything that could go wrong went wrong. In the meantime, 3 million households are sitting there freezing their what's off while people dither about whose fault it is. When we solve the problem... Well, we got to take care of those people. Yeah, we got to take care of those people first. All worked up for sure. Uh, the, the the human lives are the most important. Um, but, but tell me also, because we are, you know, we we are a business channel. Are there publicly traded companies involved, affected uh, by all this? You know, by the way, I wish this wasn't coffee. I'm just throwing that out there. But I'm on Shep tonight, so it has to be coffee. Anyway, um, yes, there are. Here are the biggest power plant owners. In Texas, they're, they're the four biggest publicly traded. They're not the biggest. There's the San Antonio Commission and a few that are you know, Austin Energy. You've got Vistra, the biggest. You've got NRG, ticker NRG. You've got Exelon and Nextera. Nextera is 100% wind. So if you want to know what the market thinks is going on, look at the prices. By the way, if you're a power plant owner, John, and you have power, you can, print, you can make a fortune. So there's always people saying, well, they've taken stuff down on purpose. You can get money, money. NRG is also a trader, so we got to kind of see how they're set up as well. NextEra is 100% on the wind side. That's been one of the hottest stocks, by the way, NextEra, ER, ESG stocks, uh, over the last two years or so. So those are the names. Those are the companies that you got to pay attention to. I'm sure that regulators will come calling to them and ERCOT and all the other things. But, yes, it's, it's a confluence of... Uh, of events down there in yeah. Texas that unfortunately just has 3 million households sitting in the cold. Bottom line. They're going to have heat again and worried. Yeah. yeah. Got to get, <laughs> get power. Got to get heat to Texas. Brian, thank you. Sure. Coming up, Robin Hood heads to D.C. CEO is set to testify in front of Congress about the company's role in the Reddit-fueled market mania. We're going to talk to two congressmen on the committee about the questions they plan to ask. Plus, Epic Games takes its Apple fight across the pond. And Miami might be following in Tesla's footsteps and adding Bitcoin to its balance sheet. I'm going to speak to the mayor about the initiative in a first on CNBC interview ahead. We're back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. 
absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. The House Financial Services Committee getting ready for the first hearing on GameStop mania tomorrow. The focus is going to be short selling, online trading platforms, gamification, and the impact on retail investors. In the hot seat, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenno, Citadel CEO Ken Griffin, Melvin Capital CEO Gabe Plotkin, Reddit CEO Steve Huffman, and Roaring Kitty, the trader Keith Gill. Joining me now are two members of the committee who will be questioning the CEOs and others, Representative Brad Sherman, a Democrat from California, and Representative French Hill, a Republican from Arkansas. Gentlemen, thank you uh, for being with me. And Congressman Hill, to start, um, what is the big outstanding question here? Because when we first heard the calls for this testimony, there were questions about what exactly Robin Hood was doing and why. We've gotten, it seems, a few of those answers. What are still the big outstanding questions for you? Well, thanks for having me today. It's good to see my friend Brad Sherman. I think when we look at Robinhood, we appreciate the democratization of uh, stock trading so that it's lower cost, more people are eligible to participate in investing. That's a good thing. But we want to understand why they had a capitalization problem. Uh, During the midst of the GameStop day and AMC stock, Robinhood was clearly undercapitalized, and that caused problems in the clearing firms. I think that's a key issue to look like, look at because it affected those interday transactions by consumers, their customers. Hmm. And Congressman Sherman, I've got some questions about whether this really is a democratization of something, because this is more about trading, it seems to me, than it is about investing. And part of the reason, perhaps, why Robinhood didn't have the money in reserve is because, hey, it's not charging people and trying to make a lot of money in different ways. I mean, are you comfortable with Robin Hood's structure and what that encourages retail investors to do? Well, I'm not a fan of day trading. It's bad for your ratings, but I believe investing should be boring. And um, I epitomize that. Uh, I'm a bit concerned that Robin Hood may be a glorification of the gamification of of investments. Um, I figure if you want an exciting video interface, uh, you should go to GameStop and buy a video game. Don't go to Robinhood and buy GameStop. Uh, But I do think that it was picking up on what uh, French had to say about capital. We have a somewhat antiquated system where if the customer of Robinhood wants to buy stock, Robinhood's capital is posted for a period of two days. We either ought to go to a much quicker settlement process or some system where it is the customer's capital, not the broker's capital, that's put up uh, in some escrow account for those two days. But to tell brokers that they have to take risks in order to serve their customers just waits for the day when they refuse to take those risks. And Congressman Hill, I I wonder your take on the structural implications here. I mean, uh, whether it's democratization or not, I, I guess that that is open to argument. But we have a system now where retail investors are being encouraged to do riskier and riskier sorts of trading after the market has been on this spectacular run. Uh, is that going to come up at this hearing or is this more about the mechanics of what happened with GameStop? I think it will come up in discussion and it's an important issue. Investing is a long term issue 
completely connected with your personal uh, views and your personal time horizon. And some of the points that Brad made about uh, the gamification of investing are potentially harmful. They're certainly subject to caveat emptor on the part of the investor that they understand what they're doing. Investing is serious business. But I would look at uh, the qualifications that Robinhood uses in their algorithms. Are clients really qualified to be trading in options, to participate in stocks uh, that have a low price, say under $5? Uh, What about uh, the qualifications to being on margin? These are questions that are all appropriate uh, to educating consumers that use the Robinhood platform. Are they ready to be in investing and be learn that it's not a game? It's a long term uh, opportunity to save and invest over the long haul. Uh, Congressman Sherman, I've got to say this is 2021 and we've got a Democrat from California, a Republican from Arkansas on TV calling each other friends, it sounds like unironically, and basically agreeing on something. I mean, mm-hmm. th- does this point to maybe getting some things done, at least when it comes to the economy and business in Congress? I, I think on matters that aren't partisan and front page, uh, that it'll be easier for Congress to uh, bridge that partisan divide. Um, I, I don't see uh, French Hill and I voting together on a gun control bill. All right. But uh, I I also do want to comment that at this hearing, we've got to look at this payment for order flow model Mm. and uh, the the difference between the bid and the ask. Well, Well, we'll take what we can get. We enjoy these bipartisan moments when we have them. Thank you, Congressman Brad Sherman and Congressman French Hill. Now coming up, while Congress is looking at Robinhood and Reddit, a new online trading platform is set to launch that wants to let you wager on simple yes or no questions about future events. We've got the details. And if you live in one state but work in another, your taxes this year could get messy if home is now your office. We're going to look at why. The Exchange is back in two. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's get a check on the markets. The Dow is down 184 at the low, but in the green right now, S&P and NASDAQ having their worst day of the month. Let's check the sectors. Energy, consumer discretionary, and communication services are your leaders. Information technology and the industrials, the biggest laggards right now. Here's some of the individual movers this hour. Shares of Veer Biotechnology higher on news. It's expanding its coronavirus collaboration with GlaxoSmithKline to include research therapies for other diseases. Uh, Shares of Wingstop, meanwhile, shortly lower after missing on the top and bottom line. Higher cost of sales for some wing products, one of the headwinds there. And shares of Lazy Boy are lower. Results were largely in line with guidance, but higher costs due to COVID-related supply chain disruptions cut into quarterly profit. The company also announcing the departure of its CEO at the end of April. Now, let's get a news update from Rahel Solomon. Rahel. Hi, John. Here's what's happening at this hour. 
Let's start with the White House saying that Johnson & Johnson only has a few million doses of its vaccine available for distribution. That's despite closing in on emergency use authorization from the Food and Drug Administration. The man who inspired the film, Hotel Rwanda, is being tried on terrorism charges in a Rwandan court. The 66-year-old has been praised for helping to save Tutsis, an ethnic group that was targeted during the country's 1994 genocide. The details of his arrest and treatment have drawn international concern. The husband of Queen Elizabeth, Prince Philip, has been admitted to a private London hospital as a, quote, precautionary measure. The 99-year-old's illness is not expected to be COVID-related. And Cargill's meat plants in Texas are shut down through Thursday due to the local utility crisis. And that's not the only issue. Take a look at this. In Austin, long lines are forming at grocery stores as people rush to buy essentials as they wait for power to be restored. And you can tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern for more on how that state is handling the crisis. That is our CNBC News update for this hour. John, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. Now ahead, why one analyst says Square can rally another 20%. Epic takes its Apple battle overseas, plus Bitcoin mania heads to Miami. That's all ahead in rapid fire. And February is Black History Month, and we're honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is NBC's American Ninja Warrior Akbar Bajabiamila discussing the importance of financial education for the black community. There are too many people in my community that the highest level of investment that they know of are CDs. The knowledge isn't there. Sometimes I wish I could just be the black financial Superman and just go to everyone's house and say, hey, here are the resources. But the resources aren't available to a lot of people in my community because you have to make a certain amount of money and we've got to tear down that wall. I want everybody to get in. I want everybody to win. Let's catch up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It is time for Rapid Fire. Here to break down the headlines, Bob Pisani, Julia Borston, and Eli Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge and a CNBC contributor. First, Fortnite's developer is taking its fight with Apple worldwide. Epic Games has filed an antitrust complaint with the European Commission, the executive arm of the EU. In that complaint, Epic states the 30% cut Apple takes from App Store purchases is anti-competitive. This feud fired up last summer when Apple kicked Fortnite off its platform because its developer launched its own in-app payment system. Epic responded with this spoof of Apple's famous 1984 ad and a lawsuit of its own. Neil, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I mean, whether it's North Dakota or the EU, <laughs> I mean, the, the coalition for app fairness is going after Apple. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, these lawsuits in Europe have actually had effects before. So Spotify famously filed its anti-competition or its competition lawsuit against Apple in the EU first. And we have seen Apple slowly open iOS up in response. Spotify can now be set as the default on the HomePod. You can listen to it on your Apple Watch. That is not stuff that was possible before uh, Spotify started litigating. So Epic started in the United States. I was actually a little backwards. These uh, European suits tend to move a little faster and exert a little more pressure. So huh. I think it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how that plays out, given that there's already a lawsuit in the United States. Julia, is it going to work? I mean, Apple's got a lot of money <laughs> to fight these kinds of lawsuits. I mean, bull market for lobbyists either way. 
Apple does have a lot of money, but we've already seen it make some concessions, lowering some of the fees for some developers and also trying to understand that they do need these apps. I mean, it's interesting, John, because we see Apple really fighting a two front war here. On one hand, they're dealing with these apps. that's not just Epic's Fortnite, but also Spotify, also Match, these companies that are fed up with paying these high fees. And then on the other hand, you have the ad supported apps such as Facebook, that are pushing back at Apple's new operating system change that would make it harder for them to target advertising. So Apple really has its hands full here, John. And I think, yes, they will fight this in court, but they are also likely going to have to make more compromises. Bob, is this the end of the line for the big guys when they start getting attacked at the federal level, at the state level, at the EU, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it just a sign they're so strong that nothing can stop them? Well, let's This is who controls the flow of money controls the world. Apple has a successful ecosystem because users like me and you, John, uh, feel it's safe, relatively secure, and it works. And they're not going to give up much control if they don't have to. Uh, With that said, all of this stuff going on in the EU is a backdoor way to just try to rein in the U.S. tech giants. Uh, It's inevitable. We've seen this throughout history Hmm. with other starting with Standard Oil and going all the way up through companies like, like IBM. There's a natural evolution going on here, but I think Apple's going to be fine in the long run. Yeah, neither Standard Oil nor IBM is a trillion-dollar market cap right now, so I don't know, make of that what you will. Bob, I want to get your thoughts on Deutsche Bank. It's seeing significant strength in Square, the firm raising its price target to a street high of 330 a share. Deutsche Bank saying it believes Square was a recovery play last year, but an even bigger one in 2021. The analyst cites Square's significant Bitcoin strength as a reason to be excited. Another promising area is the fintech company's cash app. Deutsche seeing Square's full-year profit growth reaching as high as 85%, and that new price target implies nearly 20% upside from here. You can see shares of Square there up over 700% from its year low, down a bit today. But, Bob, I mean, Bitcoin, Cash App, as re- I mean, that's not what Square is at core. I mean, it, no. No. Is that the reason to be excited but about? But it gave... It, Tell it, me. It's not what... what what Square is about, but you have to admit, it, it's helped driving the whole thing, the Bitcoin. But look, first off, you had the pandemic driving. Then you had stimulus driving spending overall. And just look at the, the payment apps in general, not just Square, but look at PayPal or look at Venmo. Look at Western Union, for crying out loud. They're all, they're all doing a lot better here. So big thinkers. We just had Kathy Wood on from ARC. One of her biggest holdings in the innovation fund, she, 5 million shares uh, in Square, one of her biggest holdings. She's very enthusiastic about it. It's also held in that next uh, generation internet fund that she's got as well. So people who are innovative and forward thinking like Kathy Wood still think there's a huge future with Square, with and without the whole Bitcoin story. Julia, Jack Dorsey still running Twitter and Square. Um, I don't know. He, he was talking a lot about decentralized stuff on Twitter after uh, kicking uh, former President Trump off and now there's this attention to square around bitcoin I, I don't know what what do we make of dorsey and bitcoin and the value of these companies dorsey loves bitcoin and look i think it's remarkable that he's been able to run these two public companies for as long as he has and forget just about how much square is up from his lows this year if you just look over the last 12 months square is up about 225 percent i believe so we're talking about meaningful growth and what i would say that dorsey has really tapped into here is this idea that people want to have digital access 
whether it's to conversations on Twitter or to, to payments with Square. And this is a company, Square, that has really seen an acceleration due to the pandemic. Yes, it's going to get another boost from stimulus, but this is this acceleration and this trend that we've seen due to the pandemic and people doing everything virtually. That does seem like it's going to stick around and Dorsey will benefit from that. Neela, is this what Square is for? You know, my big question around pandemic trends is always what, what's here to stay and what's going to snap back. Um, I think you know, my perspective on consumer apps and, and consumer behavior with phones in particular is that people, it's a hard road to get people to download a new app, sign up for a new account, change a behavior. The pandemic has made a lot of people pay virtually and it's easier. So when you actually do end up going back to restaurants, doing that classic square transaction, when you are actually in person again, you're going to say, why am I using my phone instead of plastic? Well, the United States is way behind in virtual payments. Square is a big opportunity there. Speaking of fintech and Neil, check out his Decoder podcast. He's got an amazing guest on this week. <laughs> just, just saying. All right. Uh, are you feeling lucky? Kalshi, an online trading startup, is going to soon let investors bet on simple yes or no questions. That platform is going to allow people to wager on future events ranging from economic developments to the weather. Now, some people, uh, some example questions from Kalshi's website, will Turkey join the EU? Will real GDP increase this quarter? Will 50% of the U.S. population be vaccinated for COVID-19? Kalshi's going to launch next month, even as we're seeing heightened scrutiny on online trading platforms. But it comes with some big backers like Sequoia Capital and Charles Schwab. Julia, is everything just a gamified betting platform now? Is that what we're being reduced to? I mean, it seems like it. My question is, is this going to really, you know, appeal to those Robinhood traders that have been talking about GameStop on Reddit? Is this going to appeal to people who want to bet on sports, but maybe their favorite sport isn't in season? Is this just going to get people to gamble on everything? But what is so interesting about this is this isn't just you make a bet, you see how it plays out. You can actually trade these bets this company not only raised $30 million, but they got approved by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So this is a serious venture where you will be able to trade on these bets. It's just it's just remarkable, John. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens on this platform and how popular it is. Neil, I only like this so I can short the your answer- bets. <laughs> Neil, I, I, the, maybe the you didn't to hear your, that. Go ahead, Bob. John. The answer to your question, John, is yes, everything is becoming gamified and we should be concerned about this. This this is no longer who's going to win the Super Bowl. You put up three questions. Here's my question. Will everything, will every gaming app extend into every possible aspect of, uh, of, of your life? It's, it's no longer who's going to win the Super Bowl. You could now bet on who, whether the quarterback will make a completion on the next pass at this point. Everything's getting sliced and diced into infinite variety. So what does this mean? It means we all go down this rabbit hole of, of infinite speculation uh, on, on, on silly items, frankly. I don't I sound a little bit retro on all of this, but uh, this is a pretty slippery slope. You are right, John. Every everything is going to be bet upon, including whether or not, you know, Texas makes it through the weekend uh, or any other kind of silly endeavor you can put money on. We definitely don't want to leave that to chance. Yeah. But last but not least, EV battery maker QuantumScape having an electric day. The pre-revenue company reported a loss of nearly seven hundred million dollars in its fourth quarter. But investors eh, don't seem to mind. In fact, the stock is soaring today in QuantumScape's plans to build a facility in San Jose, California, where I used to live, 
They intend to produce battery cells by 2023. QuantumScape CEO Dagjeet Singh addressed the risk in maintaining such an ambitious schedule. I don't want to diminish the risks or the scope of the task ahead. There's a lot of work to be done here. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we feel we have a schedule that, um, that, that is, in fact, achievable. We've got you know, the, the cash balance. We've got the technology validation. We've got the customer support that we need to pull it off. Uh, and, and we're going to do our best to make it happen. Nilay, a $20 billion market cap maybe around this point, I think. I don't know. Have we seen stuff like this before? You know, uh, the the history of battery technology is very slow, right? This is an iterative improvement on core technologies. We have not seen a new technology past lithium-ion in a long time. If you can actually be the company that develops solid-state cells, and everybody's really interested in it, you can increase energy density, you can lower those recharging times, you will drive a gigantic revolution, not only in EVs, but in phones, in laptops, in everything else that requires a battery. And you'll be in the prime position to capitalize on that patent portfolio for a long time to come. So I see why the money is going towards these companies, but they've got one little technical breakthrough. They don't have a manufacturing breakthrough. They don't have a distribution breakthrough. There's a, there's a long way to go. But so battery technology is one of those places where we are always looking for the paradigm shift instead of the iterative improvement. Sounds like on Kalshi, you're going to bet no on this one. All right, thank you. <laughs> Nilay Patel, Bob Pisani, Julia Borston. And now coming up, Miami is known for its beaches and nightlife, but Mayor Francis Suarez is working to build up its reputation as a crypto-friendly city, even going so far as to propose paying workers in Bitcoin. He's going to join me to discuss next. The exchange will be right back. We've had quite a bit of breaking news in the world of cybersecurity today. Eamon Javers has the latest. Eamon. Yeah, John, that's right. Over at the White House, the new Deputy National Security Advisor, Ann Neuberger, just wrapped up a briefing offering some new details now on the scope of that so-called solar winds uh, cybersecurity breach that we saw over the past couple of months. She called it of likely Russian origin and told us that nine federal agencies and as many as 100 private sector companies have been compromised as a result of this hack. That's the first time we've been given the sense of the scope of the damage here. She also said... Uh, that about 8,000 entities downloaded the malicious software at the core of this hack. So the potential damage uh, much broader even than the ones that we know have been uh, compromised as a result of the attack. She also said the U.S. government is formulating a response, not clear when uh, the government will officially name Russia, if that's who this was, as the uh, entity responsible and respond to it. Uh, And she said that the U.S. government is now tightening up its own cybersecurity defenses and closing down some of the loopholes that allowed this malicious software to to get access uh, in the first place. So, John, a new sense of the scale of this and that number of 100 private sector companies, I think, is important. We haven't seen public disclosures from nearly that many uh, public companies. Uh, So it's potential that here uh, the damage to corporate America is much broader than investors may know, at least so far, John. Back over to you. Yeah, deeply concerning. Eamon Javers, thank you. You bet. Still ahead, working from home seems easy enough until it's time to do your taxes. The lack of a commute has some workers questioning how to file and how much money they'll get back. That's next. And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go using the CNBC app. The Exchange will be right back. Miami is looking to attract tech companies and entrepreneurs, and its latest incentive involves a move to perhaps become a Bitcoin and cryptocurrency hub. The city commission just passed a resolution to study the practicality of using Bitcoin 
from municipal transactions and investments. Joining me now is Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. Mr. Mayor, welcome. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. So uh, tell me, what's the practical incentive for using Bitcoin in this way? I mean, beyond the fact that it's buzzy right now? Well, I think the fact that it's buzzy is important because we are positioning ourselves as a city as one of the most tech-friendly cities in America. And I think we're seizing a moment where we're seeing people uh, fleeing from high-tax cities and states around the country. And the fact that our weather uh, is as good as it is at this time of the year, the fact that our city uh, has been reducing itself in crime and it's the safest big city in America, I think those all form a new narrative for Miami, that we are uh, going to be leaders in the knowledge-based economy. And the Bitcoin component of it is making sure that people understand that we're going to be crypto-friendly in Miami. Um, we're going to allow our employees to be paid by crypto. We're going to allow our, our, our residents to pay for their fees in crypto. And we're even going to study the possibility of investing in crypto as an asset. Obviously, um, I look prophetic because when I began this crusade, crypto was at 40 or actually was in the 30s. Now it's breached the 50s. So uh, it, it makes me look good, uh, certainly, with my, with my councilmen. Yeah, sure. What happens if it moves the other way, as Bitcoin has been known to do, though? Uh, you know, you, you, on Thursday, when you issue the pay, you know, it's at 50. And then on Friday, when the employee gets the pay, it's at 25. Uh, what do you do then? Well, first of all, I don't think there's ever going to be a 50 percent swing in value like that way. But the, the intermediary that's going to be able to, to trade out of the position, and it will be an instantaneous trade. So when the employee gets paid, for example, an ops to be paid in Bitcoin, uh, they will instantly, the moment that the pay is going to hit the bank wire, um, get paid in Bitcoin. So that will be an instantaneous transaction. So there will never be a wild fluctuation of that kind. But certainly the third party is going to have to be a reputable third party that can insure us that's well capitalized to make sure that to the extent that there are any losses, which I don't think there will be, um, they can they can bear those losses, not our not our employees and not not the city. Yeah, I do, though. When I mean, we've, we've seen some crazy moves in Bitcoin, both up and down lately, mostly up. But, you know, double digit moves. If somebody's relying on that check for their rent money, you, you sort of wonder what happens there. But, uh, Mary, you've been building a lot of buzz around uh, getting companies and entrepreneurs to move to Miami. What is the next big moment, you think, in, in this rebranding that you've been doing so successfully on social so far? Uh, we've been working on some major announcements that hopefully uh, in early March uh, we're going to be able to announce in terms of major, major hedge funds that are coming to the city uh, and a major technology company that is going to announce soon a large uh, footprint in the city. So we're working on those things. Um, they're big, big companies, big international companies. One of them is a $70 billion hedge fund. The other one is uh, is a very, very well-known technology company that just about everybody in, in the world knows the name of. So those are the things that we're working on now. We're also are creating a variety of initiatives based on uh, technology equity, making sure that everybody in our city has an opportunity to, to experience success as a result of this tech boom. Um, it's a really a singular moment in our history, and we want to capitalize on it. All right. Uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, quite a move that you've been making so far. We look forward to seeing some of those announcements that you have coming next. Thank you, John. And now commuting to another state for work can be a drag, but working from home is becoming a different kind of headache for employees on the tax front. Robert Frank is here with more on that story. Robert, what's what's the trouble with the taxes? 
<laughs> There's a lot of trouble with the taxes, John. That's because uh, COVID has just scrambled where millions of Americans live and work, and that's just created a huge tax headache for those trying to figure out which state to pay and how much. Now, accountants say the first step if you want to help through all this is to count your days. If you lived and worked in a state other than your tax domicile for more than 183 days, you may be subject to income tax in that state now, depending on those state rules. And that's why you also need to check each state rules on COVID relief. Now, most states, they waived any claim to income tax on temporary residents, but some, like Connecticut, have not released details. So you got to make sure that when you document any move or you plan to move, you leave a paper trail. Now, if, if you're in New York, you left for Florida and you will want to avoid New York taxes, you have to show proof of when you intended to move. Now, there are billions at stake for states. New Hampshire is actually suing Massachusetts, which continues to tax New Hampshire residents who used to commute but now haven't since COVID. Now, that case is before the Supreme Court. Same for New York, which continues to tax former commuters who haven't set foot in New York State since March. Over 400,000 people used to commute from New York uh, from New Jersey to New York before COVID, S&P estimates New York State will take more than a billion dollars in tax revenue from New Jersey and more than 400 million from Connecticut from workers who still remain out of state. And John, with, with uh, home work and work from home continuing, this is just going to be an issue long after COVID. Yeah, Rob, I mean, what happens with this tax issue after we get out of this COVID situation and people either continue to work from home or are back in the office. I mean, I imagine states are going to be playing tug of war over this revenue. Absolutely. And that's a great way to put it. You know, the tax code is not built for this future where a lot of people permanently work from home. And New York, the way it is now, if you report to Google in New York City, but you're going to work from home in North Carolina, New York State will tax you for every single day that you are paid. And that just doesn't make sense. And so Everyone's looking to the Supreme Court to answer this question. And there could be huge tax dollars at risk for all the states, depending on how that goes. Yeah, I imagine commercials trying to get people to come back into the office. Not really saying that it's because we want your tax dollars. Robert Frank, thank you. <laughs> That's right. Well, that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.